It's been a big talking point over the last couple of days. A great innings and a great knock by both David Warner and Travis Head at the MCG earlier on today. Joining us down the line to talk all about it is sports journalist for ESPN Crick Info, Andrew McGlash. And Andrew, welcome back to the program. Hi there, nice to be with you. Great to have you here with us. Now, uh, talk to us about this uh, this third one-day international taking place at the MCG right now. There has been weather interrupted, but we are out there. We've got about four overs remaining. And what an opening partnership between David Warner and Travis Head, Andrew. What a brilliant opening. Yeah, they cast in magnificently, didn't they? Two very fine innings, uh, Travis Head, going on to... 150, and he probably feels he left a double century out there, hmm. uh, to be honest. There were so many overs left when he, he got out, and, and David Warner crossing three figures for Australia for the first time since January 2020, so it's been a bit of a wait um, for him between three-figure scores, but just an utterly dominant um, opening pairing. After a little, a few little lives early on, and, and head was dropped at slip early on, which obviously proved costly, and there was a bit of movement. England didn't bowl particularly well with the new ball, and Australia were able to get away from them, and after that, there was no stopping them, really. Um, <clears throat> surged on through past 200, uh, past 250. They almost broke their own record um, for Australia's uh, first wicket, to, to 284, that, that they already hold. So, yeah, uh, magnificently putting them to the sword. I think it's fair to say, in England team, they've not been particularly um, infused by this series, shall we say. There's been a bit more riding on it for Australia than there has been for England, um, and they haven't looked that particularly um, uh, enamoured by by these three games, particularly those players that stayed on after the World Cup. But yes, whatever Australia get in these last few overs, it's going to be a huge chase for them this evening. What were your thoughts on David Warner's comments uh, that he made to the press yesterday? Entirely fair, really. I think the whole situation has dragged on ridiculously long, really. Um, I think he's entirely... Uh, in, his, in his right to believe he, he's worth a bit of forgiveness and a, and a bit of change of tact. Uh, Cricket Australia have kind of dug their heels over this. There's been some suggestions that they haven't really wanted to address the issue. Um, I kind of made a big deal out of some of the fine print in their code of conduct, which is now has now been changed so that Warner can appeal um, the, the captaincy uh, element of, of, of his ban, at least. And I think I think we are getting towards a sensible conclusion to this. It's taken a bit longer than I think it should have done, uh, but I don't think anyone can really quibble that Warner hasn't done his time for this. Um, and if he wants to have another go, if, if Cricket Australia or the Australian selectors think he's the man to captain the side again in the last couple of years of his career, or at the very least the big bash uh, for Sydney Thunder, then I think it's perfectly fair that he has a chance to have a go at that. He's certainly ticked every box. It's sort of the redemption story, if you want, uh, since the ball tampering. Um, so, so I hope his sake actually gets sorted uh, quite quickly now. Do you think Cricket Australia dragged it out a little longer uh, than expected so that it might have become a little bit too late for him to be captain? Oh, I, I, there's, a, there's a chance of that. Yes, it may have been an issue that they didn't want to ever really have to confront. Um, and then I guess also that the timelines of the way things have happened in Australia this season with Aaron Finch going... Um, and then sort of natural vacancy in the one-day side, which I know has then been filled by Pat Cummins, but then obviously the T20 side is the one now that potentially has a captain's vacancy. Those things are perhaps opened up in a timeline that has meant it's inevitable that they've had to address the issue, and particularly when Warner returned to the big bash, um, part of that carrot potentially was captaincy. Um, so I think all these things have sort of come together 
fair to mean they've had to address the issue, whether they've hoped it was always to be something they'd never have to address. Clearly, by the initial ban they put in, they weren't going to look at it again. There's been a lot of change in cricket Australia since then. So um, maybe they didn't want to look at it. Um, I, th- I think I think they had to at some point, and they probably... It, it would have been nice if this could have been sorted before the season, I think. Mm. Okay. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's get back to the game itself. Currently, uh, the Aussies... Uh, four for three thirty-seven. Uh, sorry, three forty-seven. I should say. Uh, they've just gone. They've just another wicket has just fallen. So five for three forty-seven. Uh, Mitch Marsh out for thirty. Um, Steve Smith. He was out earlier for twenty-one. Uh, talk to us about the game uh, he played and the game that he has played over the last uh, three matches. Um, have you noticed a change in his batting? And what are your thoughts on his form? Oh, he looks he looks in fantastic nick, doesn't he? I mean, it's quite extraordinary when a guy like Steve Smith comes out and says the innings he played in the first game of this series was the best he's felt in six years because I know his returns in test cricket have gone off a little bit in the last couple of seasons, but in that six-year period, he's averaging 60 in test cricket and it includes that 2019 Ashes where he averaged over 100. Um, the, the level he sets himself is, an, is extraordinary, but yes, there is a clear change in his technique this season. He's far still at the crease, he's more side on, he's not taking that exaggerated step across. Um, and look, when someone like Steve Smith says he's feeling good, you have to take notice because he scores runs when he's not feeling great. That's the level of player he is. I mean, I, I watched him score 100 in Cairns against New Zealand earlier this season. It looked a terrific 100 on a tricky pitch and he said, yes, they are. No, I didn't really feel that good. I didn't feel, really feel in control of my game. So he sets himself such standards. I can see a massive sum of run scoring for Steve Smith now. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a testament to him that he's gone away and worked on this stage of his career he was at. No one would have blamed him if he'd just maybe tried to kick through to the end of his career. Now, still being able to score runs pretty much however he bats. But no, he's been motivated to try and get back to what he felt was peak years, 2015, 2016, and the signs are that he could well get there again. How do you think this match will play out, Andrew? Uh, as I said, Australia currently 5 for 3. 5-2 now, a couple of overs remaining. Will England be able to chase this total down or will Australia be able to hang on? Oh, I, I think Australia will win and probably win quite comfortably, comfortably. But you can never write off the depth of England's white ball batting. They've got a pretty good batting lineup still. But no, I'm, I'm very surprised if they actually get anywhere near this. I think they're mentally checked out of, of this series. Look, if they get a flying start um, in the power play, maybe they've lost Phil Salt. Of course, Moeen Ali's been subbed in as a concussion sub after Phil Salt uh, banged his head, saving a ball, trying to save a ball on the boundary early in the game. So they've lost one of their big hitters at the top of the order there in, in Phil Salt. So no, I, I think this should be a comfortable Australian win. They seem a lot more motivated by this series than England have. So it will take something quite remarkable, I think, for England to get close tonight. No Mitch Stark today, but clearly if we've learned anything from this series, Andrew, it's that... We should keep Mitch Stark and the new ball together. <laughs> yes, I think that's one clear bit of evidence that we've had. I'm, I'm, I'm the school of thought that you never take the new ball away from him. Certainly that early spell, whether it's two overs in T20, whether it's four or five overs in an ODI or however long he wants in a, in a test match, he is just made for new ball bowling. And he's still a threat. If it, and the thing is, if it swings for an over, you want him to make the most of it. So, yes, I thought he, uh, that, uh, that, that delivery ball to Milan at the SCG the other day was another for his... Hall of Fame, um, the deliveries, that rapid late out swinger. Um, so, yeah, I'll be interested to see how he goes in the test 
and this summer. He's had a terrific run in Test cricket, uh, played all the matches uh, last season, of course, um, in the Ashes and in, in, in Pakistan and Sri Lanka. Um, I think he's got it. I think he. I think Steele. I think he's a bit of a. I think he, he could be unleashed this summer uh, in the Test matches after that sting he got of being left out uh, of that final World Cup T20 game against Afghanistan. But it's still a phenomenal bowler. And if anyone's going to swing a ball of any colour, and obviously the two ball test, of course, this summer in Adelaide, and he's got a phenomenal record on that, it's going to be Mitchell Stark. So, yeah, he's still one heck of a bowler. Okay, so two less overs due to the rain, so 48, and we are at an innings break now. Australia's total five for three, five, five. Uh, Andrew, what are your thoughts on the crowd? crowds at uh, this series so far? Um, they haven't been big. You know, are we playing a little bit? Uh, uh, too much irrelevant international cricket at the moment. I think it's a, I think it's a few factors for this series. Um, I, I think that the biggest issue for this series is it's been crammed in between a World Cup and the start of the Test summer. Mm. Um, and, and and this particularly, I mean, it's three ODIs in a week. It, this is too much. This this is a, I mean, there's a little bit of a hangover from COVID. I think this series would have been played at a different time. Um, but yes, it, it, this has had a number of headwinds to it this series um, so I'm not surprised the crowds have been down obviously it looks it looks worse the bigger the stadium you have so of course today with the MCG that was holding 80,000 the other day and can hold 90,000 90, uh, 90, or 100,000 and 12-13,000 rattles around in that stadium um, like nobody's business but it was only 17,000 or 16 or 17,000 at the first two games so clearly an issue um, for one day cricket it might be particularly an issue for one day cricket in Australia it seems to be on a bit more of a downer than it is in some other parts of the world, although crowds aren't great generally around the world for one-day cricket. Now, I will be interested to see over the next 12 months as the narrative increases ahead of the World Cup in India next October, whether crowds around the world do do come back to, uh, to one-day cricket. I'm not convinced it, it doesn't have a place in, in the game anymore. I, I'm still, I still think there's room for three formats. And my biggest shame about one-day cricket is actually the one thing that was giving it relevance. And ironically, this series is not part of the Super League for the reasons of it just being there for broadcast, really. But um, the ODI Super League gave gave the majority of ODI matches great context over the last two years. But that's being scrapped after this cycle because the ODI World Cup is expanding, which in itself is a good thing. But that didn't mean they had to remove one of the other good things that was involved in the game, I don't think, which was this Super League. So that's a shame. So we're going back to straight bilateral ODIs. But there's still a lot of them on the calendar. There's, there's more than ever, actually, in the FTP over the next four years and how many of them actually get played without the Super League now being in place I think is a moot point I think some series will probably fall by the wayside but I hope they, I hope the game finds a way to keep them um, and I think less is more is the answer there and not just squeezing them into a week like they are now um, so yeah I, I think the administrators have some thinking to do clearly this series hasn't engaged the paying public and I think that's another key point here without getting into the politics of it we are obviously going through a cost of living crisis in more so in some parts of the world than others, but everywhere, money is tight at the moment. And Mitchell Stark made a good point, I think, the other day, that you can't expect families to fork out $400, $500 to go to a game of cricket multiple days a week, and that's what they're being asked to do at the moment. So I think people are being quite sensible in what they pay their money on. There's just been a big World Cup. There's a test summer coming up. So I think there's multiple things that are impacting this series, but it's clearly something the game has to look at. Andrew, it's been a pleasure uh, chatting on the programme this evening. Thank you very much for taking the time and uh, enjoy the England innings coming up. 
No worries. Speak to you soon. Thank you. There he goes. Andrew McGlashan from ESPN Crick Info. I thank him for his time on today's show.